That was good singing. Now let's hear the word of God. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to read from the verse 10. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. And as you're reading, remember that Paul is in prison in Rome. And he's written this letter to the church at Philippi. He's coming near the end of the letter. And what he has included in the letter is a little thank you note to the church for the gifts that they sent him. He says in verse 10, Philippians 4, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me have flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding ye have well done, that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and received. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. And all the saints salute you. Chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text this morning is taken from Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 to 18. I've already read this passage in your presence. And my theme today is understanding the grace of giving. Now, notice that this section comes at the end of Paul's letter. This is part of Paul's Thank you note to the congregation at Philippi as Paul thinks of that church and their gifts toward him personally for the work of the gospel. 
Now, as we look at our text, Philippians 4, verses 14 to 18, I want us to think of a number of important things. I want you to think, first of all, of the emphasis here on giving. The Apostle Paul, as I've said, is saying thank you to the church at Philippi for their practical support. The support that they showed toward the work of God and the very kind and generous contributions that they gave to him personally. Look at verse 14. He says, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Look at verse 15. No church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. Verse 16. Ye sent once and again unto my necessity. 17. Not because I desire a gift. Underline the word gift. Verse 18. Having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Now, it's evident. A clear emphasis here is emerging on the subject of giving gifts. Now, I've thought about this. Why mention this at the end of the letter? Why emphasize the subject of the grace of giving? Now, let me tell you, young people, why Paul didn't mention this. Paul was not consumed with personal need or personal greed. Money was not Paul's motive for being in the ministry. He was not using the cloak of religion or being a preacher to amass a personal fortune for himself. He was not a pretender. He was not a false preacher. He was not out to make himself rich. He was not, as some allege, good living for a living. The Apostle Paul would not have been one of the top ten ministers of the day in regard to money. He was not out so that his own finances in the bank would increase. In fact, the very opposite was true. As a good minister of the gospel, the apostle Paul labored night and day so that he would not be a financial burden on any congregation. Listen to what he says in Acts 20, verse 33. He was speaking to the elders of the church. He had met the elders of Ephesus at a place called Miletus and in the course of his ministry to them he said to them I have coveted no man's silver or gold or, or, or apparel he, he in fact he held up his hands and he says brethren these hands have ministered unto my necessities you see Paul was a tent maker and Paul not only preached the gospel but he also helped to make tents for people to live in. And of course, when they were sold, then Paul would have got part of the money for the making of the tent. Or maybe he was employed by a tent maker and giving some financial gift. What I'm emphasizing is this, that Paul was not driven by money. He was not building his own bank balance 
at the expense of God's dear people. And I want to emphasize this. Whenever he mentioned the subject of giving, he was not trying to raise money for himself. So so we've got to answer the question, why mention this in the latter? Well, you see, as I've told you, Philippians 4, verses 14 to 18, is part of Paul's thank you note to the church. The Philippian church had been so kind and generous to Paul. Now, we have discovered a few weeks ago that he was not dependent on such kindness. He was fully content in the Lord Jesus Christ in whatever state he was, in a state of plenty or in a state of poverty. He, therefore, was not dependent on money in the Lord's work. But at the same time, he was fully appreciative for their liberality and for their generosity. In prison, the prisoner was taken up with their kindness for him. In fact, he couldn't have praised them enough for their love, for their prayers, for their sacrificial giving to him. And he's fully aware that such giving pleased the Lord. Look at verse 14. He says, Ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. The word there, well done, means this is a good thing. It's it's noteworthy. Uh, Brethren, this was something valuable. This was a a commendable thing, a a, a notable thing, a a beautiful thing that you did in sending that gift to me in prison. And of course, it was a very generous gift. And Paul is full of great praise for the Philippian church concerning the subject of giving. Now, could, could I just have you to understand the context, because that's very important. Did you know that this church gave at a time of great difficulty and affliction? If you turn over to Second Corinthians chapter 8, we read these words. Second Corinthians 8 verses 1 and 2 Moreover, brethren, we did you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia Philippi was one of them How that in a great trial of affliction The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty Abounded unto the riches of their liberality And that word liberality Ties into the whole concept of giving gifts. You see, this was a time of great trial. It wasn't easy for the saints at Philippi. The work in Philippi was difficult. The, The church had its own problems, but it didn't stop them from supporting the Lord's servant. They were not saying, but we can't. They they may have good reasons why not but they didn't allow the reasons to stop them from being generous and liberal in supporting the Lord's servant if you look at verse 16 of Philippians 4 he says for even in Thessalonica you sent once and again unto my necessity now what does that mean 
It means they gave to Paul even after he had left Philippi. When Paul left Philippi and went to Thessalonica, and remember, of course, here he is. He's now in Rome. He's a prisoner. And um, he's thinking back to the time when he first came to Philippi and was imprisoned there and then released uh, after the Philippian jailer got saved and then was forced to leave the city because of threats in his life at short notice. When he left that church in Philippi, they didn't forget him. Their hearts were one together. They loved this man of God. And even though he was not in their area, and they could have said, but, but he's no longer our responsibility. We, we've already given to him. Even when he was not with them, they sent again and again unto his necessity. Notice something else. They gave even when no other church gave. Look at verse 15. He says, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. The other churches, were they unable to give? Maybe they were unwilling to give. We could speculate as to why the other churches in Macedonia didn't give. But it didn't deter the Philippian church. They had so much love for him that they gave generously, liberally, and sacrificially to him. They carried the burden of the work and this man of God in their heart. They were not going to be influenced by the action of others. The action of others didn't affect their mind and their heart. They, they, they could have been thinking, but those who are unwilling to give or, or those who are unable to give. There was many wealthy merchants in Macedonia at that time. Their coffers, no doubt, were full. Maybe some of them had professed faith in Christ. But whether they were unwilling or unable, the church at Philippi Gave even when no other church gave. Can I tell you something else? They gave over a long period of time. It was sustained. If you think of the words now, verse 15, ye Philippians know also in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia. Verse 16, for even in Thessalonica he sent once and again unto my necessity. He, he was thinking of the beginning of the gospel. Even when he departed from Macedonia, he uses the words there in verse 15, ye only. The Philippian church was the first church that was established in Macedonia. And from the, the beginning, this congregation sought to support the work of the gospel. And as we have already said, in fact, the apostle Paul wrote this letter while as a prisoner in Rome. He was going to die soon. Remember, he was under threat of death from Nero, the, the emperor. Paul writes at the very end of this letter, praising this Philippian church, and he's thinking this church in Philippi is a most faithful, a most generous, loving congregation. And he is so thankful for the love gifts that he sent him. So that's the emphasis on the grace of giving. Now something else I want us to think of the explanation for the grace of giving. See, why mention this thank you note at the end? Why mention it in the language that he did mention it in? 
See, I believe that Paul is explaining to them that the matter of giving to the work of God has to be realized in terms of the gospel. Giving to God's work has to be understood as a part or an aspect of living out the gospel. You see, everything that Paul taught, everything that he explained to them in the pulpit or in private, he did so in terms of the gospel. When he spoke about marriage, he said, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, and see that the wives reverence their husband. When he spoke, talked about children, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is the first commandment with promise. Do you, do you see the connection? It was in the Lord. It, it, it was in their relationship to Christ. When he talked about work, employers, employee relationship, it was in light of the gospel. When he talked about citizenship, it was in light of the gospel. And you know, when he talked about money and the subject of giving, it was also in light of the gospel. He understood it only and always in the framework of the gospel. And you know, that encourages me. Did you know that Paul never used the guilt tactic when it came to giving of money? He didn't mention the subject to make God's people feel guilty. He, he wasn't trying to squeeze a few pounds more out of them. Now, of course, it's true that the Lord's work needs financial support. It is true that the ministers of the gospel have to mention the subject of money and the subject of giving. And oftentimes have got to explain the need to the people of God. But I want to tell you, we should never give to the Lord's work apart from thinking of the gospel. We should never ever divorce the subject of giving, the subject of monetary gifts to the Lord's work, apart from thinking of Christ himself and apart from the gospel. It would be a big mistake to assume that giving to the Lord's work is not a part of the gospel. Because giving has nothing to do with a guilt tactic, but it has everything to do with a gospel truth. And that's why Paul was so full of praise. That's why, even though he knew this was a delicate and a delightful subject, and he does appreciate the generality and the generosity and the liberality and the gifts of the church at Philippi to him. But he wanted them to think in terms of the gospel. If you look up again that reference that I quoted in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed in the churches of Macedonia. How that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. You see, he mentions 
the grace of God that was bestowed on the churches in Macedonia. And the church at Philippi gave because they had tasted of the grace of God. They had been saved by the grace of God. The grace of God had operated as a principle in their heart and life. And if you're saved by the grace of God and you've tasted the grace of God as a principle in your heart and life, then one of the things that true grace does, it causes us to have a very practical interest in God's work. And Paul knew in his heart that the Philippian church was deeply involved in his ministry. Think of this word, communicated. Remember he says twice, notwithstanding you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction, verse 14. Verse 15, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. Think of the words in verse 16. He says, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Verse 17, he, he mentions a gift. Verse 18, he explains it. Having received of Epaphroditus the things which are sent for me, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And you see, their generosity to him flowed from the fact that they had been saved by the grace of God. That they'd been made new creatures in Christ. And this was an evidence that they were genuinely born again. This was part of the proof of a transformed life. Now that they were saved, they had spiritual desires, not only after God, but a spiritual desire to help practically the work of God. And, and they were willing to sacrifice for the work of God. And that was an evidence of their spiritual growth and grace. That was a desire in their heart that God had created to do something practical for the work of God. Not only the fact that they were saved as part of the explanation, but the focus on the Savior. You see this word communicated that I've mentioned in verse 14 and verse 15? Did you know that it means a partnership? It speaks of a fellowship. They stood side by side with Paul. They were identifying with him as the man of God. And as they identified and stood side by side with Paul, they were so identifying with Christ. Because now that they're saved, they're in union with him. And, and, and of course... It's all connected to the outworking of the grace of God in the life. The grace of God that had been bestowed. And I believe, and as I've sought the Lord in prayer, I believe that's the key to understanding this thank you note. Philippians 4 verses 14 to 18. Paul, he was saved by the grace of God. The Philippians were saved by the grace of God. And because they were saved by the grace of God, they, they had this desire to support the work of God. And it was all connected to the very same grace. Because they're saved, they're now serving the Lord in a very practical way. 
The grace of giving starts with the grace of God in the heart. And because they were saved and tasted the grace of God, they supported the Lord's work. Can I tell you something else? If you look at Philippians chapter, sorry, uh, look at uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 9. Look at Corinthians chapter 9. It's in the same subject. Ministering to the saints. Paul says here, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9. He says, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. You see, here's an argument. If Christ gave himself for us, and Christ was rich in his position, he was king of kings and lord of lords, Rich in his person, he's God the Son. Rich in his power, he's the creator of the whole universe. Uh, he, he has fullness of joy and, at the Father's bosom. Uh, and um, he, he's um, the majesty that's worshipped by the angels. If Christ left heaven, came to this earth via a virgin womb, lived as a true man among men, and, and humbled himself unto death, even the death of the cross. Here's Paul's argument. If Christ gave himself for us, then let us willingly give ourselves to Christ. Remember, the Bible says the Lord loves a cheerful giver. You see, he, he connected it to the cross. He connected it to, our, to, 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 to Christ. If Christ for our sakes became poor, a true man with a real body, lived a life of sacrifice and a self-denial, then I want you to recognize the example of Christ. If you're personally and truly saved and know Christ as Lord and Savior, and you think of his example of self-denial and sacrifice, then that individual will not only have a, a practical interest in the work of God, but that that same grace of God will lead him or her to follow in the example of Christ. Think of Christ's example in the realm of giving. True grace will lead them to appreciate and understand the gospel better. True grace will lead them to support Paul's ministry. True grace caused them to have a heart for the gospel. True grace caused them to help to spread the word of God. True grace enabled them to enable and encourage the Lord's servant. It was true grace that caused um, them to know that their gift and their support would, would hearten and glad the man of God. Paul's a prisoner. It's easy to be discouraged, isn't it? Especially when things are going wrong and bad. It's easy to feel hard done by. It's easy to feel forgotten. It's easy to be cast down, especially for those who labor in very difficult circumstances, labor under big financial constraints. You see, I believe that all their support to Paul, all their giving to him, these gifts time and time again, was all the outworking of the grace of God in the life. And not only was it the fact that they were saved, 
but they were focusing on the Savior and following in his example. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his commentary in Philippians, says this, Our generosity in giving is a real test of the real value of our Christian profession. Let me repeat that. Our generosity and giving is a real test of the real value of our Christian profession. Maybe there were some in Philippi who would love to have given £100,000, but maybe they didn't have one pound. Maybe someone in Philippi would love to have given a million pounds, but hadn't got a hundred pounds. And they might have felt bad because they hadn't got it. But the point is this, it's not what they didn't have, it's what they had. What they'd received by the grace of God. And the principle and teaching of the scriptures is to give what you can. You can't give a million pound if you haven't got it. Or a hundred thousand if you haven't got it. But you can give what God gives you. You can give where the true grace of God is operating in the heart. Even if we don't have the means to give much. Think of the widow's might. But you give what you can. You see the language here as I've read through it. Is legal language. It's all about accountancy. For those of you who are bookkeepers and accountants will know this. If you look at the language, think as I pointed out, he mentions here giving and receiving. Think of the word sent. Think of the word gift. Now look at verse 17. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. So do you get the language? Giving and receiving. Sent gift your account it's all legal language they sent these gifts out of love they sent them because they had were thinking of Paul and they were thinking of his need and out of true kindness to the Lord's work this to them was a, a just and a proper, a right thing to do, a right way to behave. Because the Bible teaches, of course, they that preach the gospel should live off the gospel. But it all has to be connected to the fact that they're saved. They're, it's all connected to the example of our Savior. It's all connected to, to living out the gospel. But you know, it's more than just money, isn't it? We can think about the tithe. But let's think about our time. Let's think about our talent. What have I, gifts have I got that are useful in the service of God? Think about prayer. Think about encouragement. Think about commitment to the house of God and to the services. These um, uh, people in Macedonia first gave themselves to the Lord. That's exactly what Paul says to them when he wrote to the church at um, Corinth. He said, and this they did, not as we had hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. 
The support was multifaceted. So it's not just about money. It's about time. It's about commitment. It's about effort. It's it's about being true to the place that God has called you to. And it's such a burden, isn't it? While it's a blessing, it is a burden to maintain that commitment to support the work of God in this multifaceted way. And you know, it's impossible to have received the grace of God in salvation if you're not willing to support the spread of the gospel. And I believe, while the emphasis is on the subject of giving, here's the explanation. Why did they do it? Because of the fact that they were saved. Because they were so focused on following in the footsteps of the Savior that nothing was too difficult or hard for them to do. Isn't that a great lesson for us? The fact that we're saved. If you're saved and tasted the grace of God, you can rejoice. You have many blessings. But here's a blessing. You can support the work of God. Because the the grace of God in you creates that desire. That desire hasn't come from yourself. It's come from the Lord. And the working of grace within you. And and as as you respond to the working of that grace, then you're following in the footsteps of the Savior. Because this mindset of self-denial and sacrifice and be willing to help others in genuine love in this multifaceted way is all evidence of Christ at work in the life. Let me just state one final thing. Think about the effects of giving and receiving. Paul says in verse 17, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. You see, the grace of God in giving is an investment. When these Philippians gave to Paul, they were not looking for gifts back in return. Paul says, even when he was in prison, not because I sat there and sort of said, oh, I wish the Philippian church would send me something today. No. But he did desire that fruit may abound to their account. You see, Not only were they involved in the work of God in a partnership in that they communicated and identified with Paul, but it was also an investment. It was fruit that was put to their account. In other words, the Lord took note of it. The Lord wrote it in the book of remembrance. So and so, so and so, so and so. This is what they did. And this is what they were motivated by. And this was the encouragement it brought. And and here was the response. In other words, their giving was a spiritual benefit to them. Over in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, it's written, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Paul mentions here in verse 15, giving and receiving. Now they gave gifts. We don't know exactly what they were. But what did they receive? Did they get a gift back in the post? No. But they got something else. Their receiving was this, that 
what they gave resulted in a spiritual blessing to them. In other words, they were enriched. Look at these couple of references as we finish. Turn over there to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. Proverbs 11 and verse 25. It says there, The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. It says here, in verse 18 of the same chapter, the wicked worketh a deceitful work, but to him that soweth righteousness shall be a sure reward. And in Proverbs 19, verse 17, we read these words, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him Again. In other words, God is no man's debtor. Do you see that? Every gift is like a seed. A seed is planted. And of course, you know the concept of seed that's been planted. The seed grows, germinates, and brings forth many other seeds. And Paul talks about this being something that's put to their account. It's like a spiritual fruit. And while he's thankful for their support to the work of God, he was looking to the Lord to to bless them, to, to enrich them, because they were investing for the future. Remember the Lord Jesus said, and we'll have to close, but think of these words in Matthew chapter 25. Look up the verses, if you can, verse 34. Remember the Lord Jesus said, think of the cup of cold water. He says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? Or when we saw thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? Look at verse 40. Underline these words. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the one of the least of these, my brethren... Ye have done it unto me, the least of these, my brethren. You've done it unto me. You see, God is honored. God is glorified. It's an odor, he says, of a sweet smell. It's a sacrifice that's acceptable. It's well pleasing to God. Now with this I finish. And you've been so patient. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2. We read there. 
Verse 1, Ephesians 5, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us. Now notice the words, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Isn't it similar language? The giving resembles what Christ did. It's all back to Christ. It's back to the cross work of Christ. If Christ loved me, Christ came and lived for me, Christ laid down his life for me, and Christ has done this for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Wasn't that what C.T. Studd said? You see, see it in light of your relationship to Christ. See it in the context of the gospel. And I'm so thankful for your very practical support in this house. I'm so thankful for your faithful attendance every Sunday. I'm thankful for your commitment and your support to the work of God here. Your prayer, your encouragement every Sunday when I get up here to preach and I look down and see you in attendance. But I want you to see what you're doing in the context of the gospel. I want you to see it in the context of bringing glory and honor to Christ. Because it's like Christ's sacrifice. It's an odor of a sweet-smelling savor. It's something well-pleasing to God. And that's why Paul mentioned this in the way that he did. So the next time you think about giving, you think of it in terms of Christ in the gospel. Of bringing honor and glory to God because you have tasted the grace of God.